freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Good morning. Hello, everybody. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, and the Seattle Sports app, plus podcast platforms everywhere you can find them. I'm reading about, you know, I always say uh, anywhere in the universe, right? Yeah. Well, I'm learning about the universe, the cosmos. With Cecily. Okay. My younger daughter. And bought a book. We bought a Neil deGrasse Tyson book. About uh, the universe, the cosmos. I wish we would have waited to rank planets because we already did that with you. I Maybe know. things would have been different. Yeah, now I'm learning a little bit more about, uh, about well, this is just the very beginning. We're learning about the Big Bang. Okay. Right? How that all went down in like a trillion, million, gazillionth of a second. And the universe expanded from, you know, something smaller than an atom all the way to, you know, everything it is. It's just crazy. Very, very complicated. And there's a lot of protons, neutrons, electrons, photons. And, like, I'm hoping Cecily catches. I'm reading real slow and going back over things, but she seems to be super into it. So, yeah, that's what we're doing every night. We're reading about the cosmos. So now you're very into the idea that we are all over the universe? Yeah, I mean, you know, not just the Milky Way, but any of the other billions of galaxies that are out there. Do you get kind of sick when you think about how big space is? Mm, a little. No. I not just- at all? No. You I just think about all those other lonely. planets you'd like to go to and like have a little like, Google Earth thing. I'm, on I'm like, just sad that I'm... Well, there's a really good dive bar here, <laughs> like four galaxies <laughs> no, over. not at all what yeah. I was going to say. Right. That just will feels, be Justin I once just... you can map that. <laughs> okay, let's relax. He's like, oh, really? You've I been just... to that galaxy? I've been to 234, not to 239. Now, what... Do they have a good dive bar in 239? Because I hear that's really, you know, where they have good stuff. Last couple days, I've caught him looking at, like, random bodies of water and trying to figure out if the road next to them is a dirt road or not. (laughs) Yeah. I just want to know if it's paved. I wish Google Maps would give you that feature. So I got in this morning. And uh, I always like to see what's going on in the text machine right off the bat because that's always, you know, entertaining to see what's come in overnight. And, uh, you know, there's a lot. Like, late last night, there's one for Bob, which is good, that says, Bob, please help me understand this. You're a super germaphobe clean freak, yet you go rolling around with a bunch of sweaty guys with their armpits and stuff all over your face and body on a sweaty, smelly, dirty mat. If not, what kind of jujitsu do you practice? So, yeah, like that's the kind of Good stuff question. that comes in in the middle of the night. You never know well, what you're going to get. Well, and he liked all get. the MMA stuff, too. Yeah, it's a oh, lot of bodies touching for someone that's I know. so germophobic maybe that's how he gets good at it like he wants to be done with it so quickly <laughs> that he just quickly pins you ah one two three and he runs off to go clean himself <laughs> and shower groom himself or whatever it is bob does so that one came in late last night but i i liked this one uh that came in this morning and i thought that i thought this one was a little more appropriate for today it's from the 253 of course it says so are all you crybabies at 710 Back on the bandwagon this morning, now that we're only four and a half out in the wild card. Sulk, you caved to the oh, we suck crowd way too easy. Hey, by the way, uh, no, like if they do this again, yes. How how many times have we seen one good game from them? Let me finish reading. (laughs) Well, I'm just answering for myself. I thought you had turned the corner and were actually trusting the process. Show some respect to your boys' service in DePoto. You started out having their back, 
either stay the course or you're just like the rest of these average talking heads I got to listen to cry every other day or week. It's a long season, amateurs. I ought to call in and call some of these whiny hosts out. You won't. How about that? That was a lengthy. Yeah, that's a long text. I mean, that's Jeez. almost email length. Yeah. All right. So what do you make of all that? Are we all back on the like, bandwagon? I mean, I guess you're going to need to call some of these hosts out. Who? That's what I'm wondering. All right. Well, who are, who are the after one game, you think I'm going to get on my high horse? I'm probably not. More, I'm right there with you. You got to do it for more than one game. Am I, am I excited to see the offense carrying some momentum and and them finally sync up and the pitching, you know, match it to get everything right on one night? Yes, but I want to see it you continue. You crybaby, Mora. How <laughs> dare you come at me with that kind of take this morning? You crybaby. <laughs> they uh, had some work to do. I don't think that that makes us bad people. Look, here, here's the thing. <laughs> about, that. Here's the thing in sports radio. <laughs> no this one is, said service or DePoto should be fired. That's the thing. That's the thing that I always want to come back to. It's so hard to walk this line. And for whatever reason, people struggle with this one. The difference between this, this is your fault and you should be fired seems to be a really, really huge challenge for people. And the reality is that while sometimes things aren't your fault and sometimes you should be fired, there is a middle ground. And quite frankly, it's probably larger than either of what's on the two edges. There are times where you're responsible and you still deserve the opportunity to work yourself and your way and your team out of it. And that's where I put DePoto. That's where I put Scott to a lesser extent. Yet Jerry's responsible for the for the roster. He's responsible for the fact that a lot of the guys haven't worked out so far. And you have to put that word so far in, and I have each time. Because all of a sudden, you look at Teoscar Hernandez, and over the course of the last week or so, dude's hitting. Hitting 300. He's hitting for some pop. He's pulling the ball down the line. He's going back up the middle. He's doing all the things that he's supposed to do as Teoscar Hernandez. Does that mean that he's been good all year? Uh, Flat no. Does it mean he's going to be good for the rest of the year? Again, no. But it means we're starting to see the guy that Jerry DePoto identified in the offseason, along with Justin Hollander, and and brought in here. Good. So am I holding him accountable for the fact that Teoscar stunk for the first two months? Yes. Do I think he needs to be fired because of it? No. So maybe that makes me a crybaby, or maybe it makes you a crybaby. Maybe it makes makes us flip-floppers. Maybe it means that you know we're too emotional and going back and forth according to the day. I don't know. But for me, it, it, it's a matter of seeing what you see, being patient, but also seeing what's, what's happening. And there, were, there have been days like yesterday before where you're like, oh, yeah, that's the Mariners we were promised. That's the Mariners that we're supposed to see. Great pitching, good defense, really good defense, quite frankly. Ty Adcock, who had a, what, uh, th- he had, what, seven up, six down. There was an error was the recipient of like five nice defensive plays of the six outs that he got. Yeah, that's true. Which was great. You need that. That's who the Mariners are supposed to be. And they hit better. In fact, according to Scott, and we heard Shannon kind of tease at this a little bit yesterday, they're doing some things a little bit differently. Uh, I think I said it um, in the road trip after we got out of Texas. We wanted to change our messaging up a little bit on what we were trying to do. Um, really focusing on hitting as many balls in the middle of the field as you can. And it has helped out. It certainly helped Teo out a bunch. I think he's been really good here over the last week or so. Um, Ty kind of does it naturally. 
but it needs to be you need a conscious effort to do it and it just it gives you a better chance of, of making better swing decisions when you're not trying to pull everything and our guys are doing it they're getting really good results and they're still pulling balls and still hitting for some power so there does seem to be some sort of a shift all that time where we were saying or folks were saying how come the hitting coach isn't doing anything what come these guys aren't doing anything they were now is it going to work long term who the heck knows it worked last night. It did. They and had it, a better process and a better uh, uh, approach in Anaheim. They did. They did have a better approach. It didn't translate to two out of three wins, but their approach was better. Mm-hmm. Their approach was better for one of the two games in San Diego. It was awful the other night. And it was a better approach last night. So that's what? Three, four, five, five of the last six games or so that their approach has been better. Good enough? Synced up with their pitching, as Morris talked about a few times. Nope, not yet. Good enough to climb your way out of the massive hole that you've dug for yourself, at least in the division? No. But four and a half back in the wild card is relevant. That's why I was saying it yesterday. Hey, as bad as things have been, you haven't walked yourself out of this race yet. You're still giving yourself a chance which is why you're not sellers yet at the deadline. We'll talk about this later. It's why, uh, what's the guy's name? Bryson Bradford, whatever the guy's name is, uh, Bradford Doolittle. Oh, It's why Bradford Doolittle has them as a team that's kind of idling. Not sure yet whether they're going to sell or buy. Not sure yet what they're going to do. Of course, they're still in it. And they're also haven't, they also haven't played the kind of baseball that we expect them to play. So... I don't know where they go next. We've seen this before. We get excited. Hey, that's good baseball. Nice. That's what you're saying. Oh, gosh. Right the next day, George Kirby gives up 32 runs or whatever it is. Right. They've shown they can have one incredible game. Absolutely. And, you know, generally those games have come against lousy teams. The Marlins are not a lousy team. I think they have the third best record in the National League. So they've actually played some pretty good ball this year. And last night's guy was a pretty decent pitcher. He was a lefty, which is something you were struggling against, and it's nice to see them sort of coming back and starting to hit lefties all of a sudden the way they were supposed to, minus A.J. Pollock. We'll get to him later. So so good on them. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. Are they going to keep doing it? Heck if I know. I'm done predicting where this Mariner team is going, but if they play the way they did last night, they will win a lot more games and will be having a lot more fun over the course of this summer. We'll come right back with everything you need to know next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Hey, look. The actual Mariners showed up last night, and that's always fun when they do so. You get to see a team that we were promised. They look great right from the jump, both on the mound and at the plate. We can certainly start with the offense. And the pitch swinging a fly ball deep into the gap in left center field. Going and going and going. It will fly, fly, fly away. Ty France with a three-run home run into the Mariners' bullpen. Four runs are in here in the bottom of the second. The Mariners now lead the Marlins six to nothing. Ty France is sixth home run of the season. And that, my friends, was a no-doubter. All six runs for the Mariners tonight have come with two outs. What a shot by France. Viva la France. Yes, and a little Dave Niehaus shout-out from Riz there, too. Fly, fly, fly away. Now, you may have seen after the home run that Ty France got on the phone, the bullpen phone. My daughter was convinced he was calling his parents. He was not. I called the I called down to the bullpen. Um, so... 
before the two homer game against the A's, they were giving me a bunch of crap because I never pointed at them or did anything, celebrated them on my homers. Um, and then, so I told them if I homered that game, I would give them a little something. Um, then I hit two, so I gave them a little flex as I was rounding, rounding second. And then today, I haven't hit a homer since, so I completely forgot about them when I uh, hit today's. So when I got back in the dugout, I called them and said sorry. <laughs> So the good news, Ty has a great sense of humor and, you know, they enjoy ribbing each other. Bad news, it had been so long since his last home run, he forgot what he was supposed to do. So, hey, Ty, hit maybe a few more of those and that won't be such a problem. Seriously, they they did take a better offensive approach and they've been doing that for the last week or so. And it's led to better at bats. Anytime we're in single digits, Daniel, I get pretty excited. That's a good game for us. Um, I think there was only six tonight. So um, against a guy who can strike you out. Uh, there's no question uh, about it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, stay in the middle of the field. I know it sounds easy and simple, um, and sometimes that's you got to go back to the, the basic things um, that allow you to have success in this game instead of getting too complicated. That's what we tried to do, and it is better. We're not totally clicking like I think we can, but it's, it's, moving, it's moving in the right direction. Well, we also got an opportunity to see Bryce Miller. He was great. Just one hit. It was a home run. The bullpen took it from there, including two strong innings. From a newcomer, Ty Adcock, just called up from Double A, pitched pretty well. We'll get to him in just a moment. Here's the second thing you need to know. Why was Ty Adcock there? Well, they placed Penn Murphy back on the IL with elbow inflammation. Obviously not a good sign at all, but nice to see a young pitcher make another debut straight from Double A and maybe showcasing him before the deadline. Who knows? He has a big-time fastball and a pretty good breaking ball, as Jerry Depoto had told us just last week. Ty Adcock, who was actually the right fielder on, on George Kirby's college team, and an eighth-round pick for us uh, a couple of years back, has had a lot of injury, and this is the first year he's healthy. He's older for his level uh, as having been a senior sign, but you know, he's, his average fastball is 97-98 right now with a ferocious breaking ball, and he's lighting it up in double-A. And he could be a guy that lands on our radar pretty quickly as well. Well, when he said pretty quickly, I didn't know he was meant like a couple of days later, but that's exactly what happened. All-star voting, not looking great right now. Remember when Jeff Passan told us that Julio should be voted in? I hold out the the possibility that there's going to be some sort of candidate. I just don't see Cummings who's going to come in and take that third spot. But if you're asking me who the fan should vote for, I think it should be Julio Rodriguez, Mike Trapner, and Judge. Unfortunately, that is not the case right now. Julio is ninth in the outfield voting. The top three, Judge, Trout, and Jordan Alvarez, and they have like more than double the number of votes of Julio. So Mariner fans, show up at the ballpark, go online, whatever you got to do. If you want to see Julio here in Seattle in the All-Star game, you're going to have to get to work voting for the guy because it is not looking pretty right now. Here's the third thing you need to know. Congratulations to the Nuggets and their fan or whoever roots for the Nuggets. I've never heard. Of, I've literally never met a Nuggets fan. <laughs> I haven't either, actually. Have there, you ever met anybody who is a self-described Nuggets fan? There were more. I would think say there's more Nuggets fans in Colorado than Rockies fans when I was there. But oh, Rockies fans that. came out of the woodwork right. when they made the World Series all of a sudden. I, I never heard of a, of a Nuggets fan. I, it's never dawned on me that the Nuggets would have a good team. 
Anyway, well, Carmelo uh, was there. They were popular. They were okay. I mean, like for the I'm second not they were great, straight but they year. Were popular with the fan people. Denver has now celebrated a championship season. Last year, the Avs. This year, the Nuggets. Nikola Jokic, right? He broke through, and uh, the Heat defeat. Uh, they defeat the Heat, rather, in five. Pretty impressive. Uh, and I'm sure the Denver will make it three straight. I'm sure the Broncos will win it all next year, and everyone in that city will be very happy. Yeah, Miami. Russ and Sierra were there. Oh, were they? They, were, kids, they were trying so. to big fans. Hone in on that a little bit. Uh, Miami will try to avoid losing both finals tonight as the Panthers are down 3-1 to Las Vegas in the NHL. That's everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. I don't mean to tease the Nuggets. Honestly, congratulations, and that's awesome. I was reading uh, the list of players who were drafted before Jokic. It's pretty crazy because he was, what, a second-round pick or something, right? So there were 40-something guys drafted before him. It's like the Tom Brady scenario. Somebody else had posted a picture of him when he was a kid. Have you seen those? No, I haven't. He's just like this big, fat kid, (laughs) right? I mean, like, seriously, he's just super... Speaking of him getting drafted late, have you seen people keep posting uh, the video of when he got drafted? It was they were airing like a Taco Bell commercial. At right. The time. Exactly. Yeah. Like he just he <laughs> couldn't have been less important. And they've built an entire team around him that uh, dominated the NBA this year and ended up winning the NBA title. So uh, congratulations to the Nuggets. And I suppose their fans who just found out there was a team that plays in Denver oh, and they actually got man. to support them uh, for the, uh, the for the finals, one. which is exciting. Let them, let them have their fans. first one. I used to go to those games all the time. They were fun. Because there was no one there. That's true. It was cheap. It was a cheap ticket. Right, You could go for nearly free. <laughs> Nuggets fans. Never heard of such a thing. All right. So uh, the South Park guys are big Nuggets fans. Are they? Are they, though? <laughs> Or did they just sort of decide this is an opportunity to get on TV a few times? All right. Uh, Who will own the Denver Nuggets in 10 years? That question and a whole lot more for Andrew Brandt coming up next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. All right, not exactly that question, but close to it. SeattleSports.com. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Yeah, we've been talking a lot of baseball today, but we'll uh, move away from that for a few minutes here. Always excited to talk to Andrew Brandt. Takes a few minutes with us right now. Andrew, how are you? It's good to hear your voice. Always good to be with you guys. Doing well. And one of my favorite Twitter follows, of course, follow him uh, for all the good stuff on NFL business stuff. But I really I I was uh, struck by your piece at Front Office Sports about uh, about the live and PGA Tour combination and what's happened here over the course of the last week. And maybe more importantly, where it goes next. Let me start with what happened. What do you think Mm -hmm. really happened last week? Well, I think it was a culmination of a lot of things where the PGA was finding out in so many words that Liv was not going away. They weren't going away legally, which is always important. You know my saying, there will be lawyers. This lawsuit, this antitrust lawsuit, was clanking around in the Northern District of California. Countersuits by Liv back and forth. Probably wasn't going to see a courtroom until 2024 at the earliest. And Liv had unlimited funds, so they weren't going to drop out. They weren't going to be badgered into litigate, not litigating this. And then, of course, you had the top golfers going to the other side, and one of whom just won a major. 
And I think networks probably are going to say to PGA at some point, hey, I'm not going to pay these huge rights fees when the guys winning the majors are on the other tour. So I think the, the, the bottom line is you, they realize you can't compete with someone who has unlimited funds. And I'm not sure why it took so long, because I said two years ago they should work with these guys, not against them, because this is not the USFL. This is not the AAF, the XFL. This is a tour that has more money than you guys. So money wins. And I just think they decided we're going to, we can't beat them. We're going to join them. And kind of basic business from that point. I, I think before we get into politics or anything like that, I think basic business principles that they're not going to outlast these guys financially. Mm-hmm. So, what do the Saudis learn from this? I mean, if you were, you know, advising them, what what would be your chief takeaway on what you just learned? It's interesting you asked me that because I, I advise like a private equity fund not related to the Saudis, and they asked me the same question. I mean, I just think that, you know, sports is a universal investment, and there's a feel-good aspect to sports that you can't find anywhere else. They've realized that. They're trying to diversify their portfolio away from strictly oil and gas, and they're talking about sports. And I think it's a little bit holier than now for us to say this is immoral because it's in other areas of our life. We just don't know about it, but there's Saudi money throughout business. There's Saudi money in the sports we watch, whether it be English Premier Soccer, Formula One, and we watch the World Cup in Qatar. You know, I think this is happening. And what I've tried to impart in my comments and speaking and writing last week is that it's coming and it's already here. And the it is Middle Eastern money. And we just have to accept it because the real reason, Mike, is that sports, as I talk about, is it's not a game anymore. It's big business. And the, the prices of these franchises, the prices of sponsorship, everything's been going north for the past 20 years. And we're going to run out of American billionaires. That's for sure. So what? So I want to come back to that in a moment. But I, you know, what yeah. what do you do? I'm talking to Andrew Brandt uh, from Sports Illustrated, et cetera, the business of sports. What what do you if you're the Saudis? Does that mean a blueprint for finding your way into other sports or for taking over other leagues? It's a good question. I mean, again. There was, the golf is unique, and I think tennis is probably in the same boat, and that would be a, a sport I would worry about if I'm the ATP tour. Um, they're independent contractors. You know, Brooks Kepka was an independent contractor. He wasn't under contract to the PGA. So it would be hard to see in team sports that have contracts, but with these individual sports, you could see it happening. Um, Adam Silver was uh, on Dan Patrick last week, and I came on right after. I, I just think that what happens is you're gonna the, the the doors are open because the NBA does allow 
investment from sovereign wealth funds that could include the the PIF fund in in Saudi Arabia. They don't allow majority ownership, but they allow institutional money. The NFL does not, uh, and hockey does in terms of institutional money, and baseball does too. So you see, as I mentioned, these private equity firms putting in investment into these sports. Now, they're not going to be the name sitting at the table in the owners' meetings or the ones you read about, but that is happening, and I think there's a toehold there from this deal that it's going to infiltrate more than just golf. So if I understand you, because of the contracts, it's unlikely to see them use this as a blueprint to take on a league. I mean, I guess there is a part of me that says if I'm if I'm the if I'm the Saudis and I just had this level of success, what's to prevent me from saying I'm going to go make offers to the 10 best NBA players and try to do exactly what I did. Maybe I need to spend a little bit more money. And if I have to pay to buy them out of their contracts, then, you know, we'll pay the fine or whatever would come with that. Because if I could lure Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and two or three other players, you could create a legitimate league to battle the NBA. Theoretically, it could happen. We've seen it in soccer. Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo's over there now for $200 million a year. And I believe that number is real. I, Lionel Messi just turned it down, like four hundred million a year. <laughs> I mean, can can't even be saying that number, but yeah. And he turned it down to come to Miami. So obviously, these play. I mean, you bring up the idea that you could actually go in after as they're under a contract. I hadn't even thought of that. But yes, if they're a free agent, if Kevin Durant's contract is up. We've never thought of a player like that signing with any other league than the incumbent league. But now we have this other option, which, again, who who's going to be the Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo of another sport? That's an interesting conversation. It is, and, and I guess somewhat challenging to even kind of think about from our perspective. The other thing you mentioned, though, is, and it sounds really bizarre to hear these words, we're running out of billionaires. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't. I think there's some other potential ways of looking at that. But in terms of sports ownership, are we seeing more of these sort of um, – minority partner, lots of different people coming together to form a bid. And what kind of effect does that have then on ownership? Yeah, I mean, I think people outside this world, and I'm not trying to be pejorative, they just don't understand what this, what these numbers are. I mean, even people with extraordinary wealth, they can't front these these deals for teams anymore. Like, you can say a guy, a, a family's worth... $10 billion, but that doesn't mean they're fronting $3 billion in an investment for a team. So I think we've got a real example of this. The Washington commanders are, we've been told for six months, about to be sold to Josh Harris as the name partner. Josh Harris owns the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils and it comes from a huge hedge fund in New York City and has so many properties, but he's having a hard time. He's having a hard time getting a group together for this incredible price of $6 billion. And this is a multi, multi multi-billionaire. And uh, 
people are like, well, he's got the money. I don't know. You know, the NFL clearly doesn't think so. Because even trying to wash the hands of Daniel Snyder, they're having trouble approving it. Mm. And I'm from Washington, D.C. I talked to a guy who's with a group, and they got the prospectus. And he's like asking me, okay, listen, I'm reading this. So basically they want $100 million, and I get good tickets. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's about it. Wow. And a, super, and a trip to the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, if, imagine if you're a $100 million investor in a $6 billion team. What, what do you think you should get? <laughs> I mean, it, that's a lot of money. Sure, to not get that much out of it. Yeah, and yeah. that just shows you. And when I say run out of billionaires, that's what I mean. It's like these prices are just going crazy, and that's why I think there's opportunity for the Saudis. Hmm. I wonder what ends up happening with Jody Allen then. I mean, because that's the the story that we've yeah. been hearing for the last few years, right? Is is that at some point she's gonna or has to sell this team, and I don't think they're there yet, and there's some issues with the lease, et cetera. But, I mean, even a team as valuable as the Seahawks and in this community with all of the big money that's around, I wonder how challenging it is to find the right buyer for a franchise like this one. Exactly. I mean, people will bring up the usual suspects like Jeff Bezos, of course. But, again, how many Jeff Bezoses are out there? You've got one out there that bought the Clippers, Balmer. You've got a few others. You've got the Walton family in Denver. Um, I mean, you're going to run. That's what I say, run out. People that, not necessarily multi-billionaires, but people that can put down, you know, the NFL is going to want to see basically 30% cash. So a a $6 billion team, what's that? $1.8 billion. Like, you got to show $1.8 billion cash. That's a lot. Wow. Does there come a point at which this starts to limit the price on these franchises? Just seems to go up, Mike. I mean, I I remember covering for ESPN this sale to David Tepper four years ago, and everyone was like, oh my God, $2.25 billion for the Carolina Panthers? There's no team in the NFL that could sell for that right now. None. None. Really remarkable how these things have and changed. And you've got NBA, the uh, Phoenix Suns just went for four billion. I mean, Jesus. And all of that with uh, with with major cable issues, RSN challenges. I mean, yeah. even with all of the potential pitfalls that are potentially about to occur, it seems like it has no ill effect on the value of the franchises. Well, we know the power of the NFL. I mean, you can go through any metric you want to go through. 49 of the top 50 programs on television last year uh, just owns Monday night, owns Sunday night. And if you're, you know, this now you're back to the first question with the Saudis. Like, if you've got a pile of money and you want a safe investment, also that gives you some sexiness and glamour, Sports is the way. I mean, it's just, 
it's it's something that is continuing to go north metric wise for all the business metrics awesome hey andrew i appreciate you taking the time i I find this stuff to be just incredibly interesting i always think of the there's a scene in billions when axe is trying to buy the i think the giants in it and and the guy says well this is how we knight people in the united states and in so many ways i think there's some element to that this whole saudi thing completely changes that conversation so appreciate your thoughts on appreciate your insight Mm -hmm. people should know they can follow you at Andrew Brandt, read them uh, kind of all over. But this latest was at Front Office Sports. I really enjoyed it. Andrew, thank you. Good to talk to you. We'll do it again. Thanks, Mike. Also, the Instagram, I do these reels oh. every day. So that'd be fun. And Andrew Brandt, too. Andrew Brandt, too, on Instagram, if you uh, prefer to see it. Reels. Uh, it's a good way to, to, to get his content. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. I like those reels. That's where I see most of my French Bulldog content is the reels. Yeah, see that. Uh, I could definitely it's like see TikTok. That. Yeah, it's basically oh, the it same is. thing, but you know, it's real. So I get my Frenchie <laughs> content. Occasionally, I get a good Basset Hound shows up on Reels. <laughs> I get a lot of golf content sent directly to me, which is nice. Not surprising. I've never done anything. To, I don't know. To, like, I don't know why I get all of those things, but that's what comes, and so I keep clicking on them. They know me. It's fantastic. <laughs> Everyone's always worried about their privacy. Like. What do I care about my privacy? As long as you keep sending me Frenchie videos. Like, this is fantastic. Yeah. That's how they get you, That's how they get you Mike. Get me to do what? Look at other Frenchies? Yeah. Like, who gets me? Oh, no. The other countries are going to know how much I love dogs. Right. Like, oh, no. What if people find out that I spend my time lying in bed looking at French bulldogs <laughs> jumping all over people? Like, no kidding. That's what I do. I'll tell you. I don't, you don't even need to tap my phone. I'll just tell you, that's what it is. It's mostly French Bulldogs, the occasional Basset Hound. Maybe there's a Great Dane thrown in there now and again or whatever. And then golf. That's it. That's all I'm doing. Uh, I did. Uh, I, I enjoyed that conversation with Andrew Brandt. Reels aside. Um, and, the, you know, I got a text here from somebody who says it makes them irrationally angry. Says this conversation makes me insanely angry running out of billionaires. As if, as if there aren't more ways to purchase a team. There are lots of people with a lot of money who can buy shares in a team. This guy's a complete joke. That's from the 503. Well, Andrew Brandt's not a joke. He's been doing this for a long time, both on the agent side and on the team side. And he's got a pretty good idea of what's going on in like the world. He's a professor at Villanova. Right. Like, he's got a pretty good sense of this. I think what he's saying is is not that there aren't enough billionaires in the world, period, but that over time, like if, as, as these teams, as the price goes higher and higher, there are fewer people who can buy one straight up. And he's he understands, just as you said, that lots of people can get together and buy a team with smaller shares. But that comes with two problems. One. As he mentioned, literally his story about the Washington commanders saying that the minority partners that they're trying to solicit get so little for their investment, they're not that willing to invest. That what, I spent $100 million and all I get is tickets? Like, come on. They don't want to do that. These are people that are used to getting their own way with their money. And instead, you know, they're 19th, 20th on the list behind all these other people with more money and a higher stake than them. And they're not getting that much out of it. They might get decent return on their investment, which is great, but it could take a while because you're not drawing a profit off it every year. So if you're willing to park $100 million for 15 years, great. It's like a really good CD. But it's not it's not like, you know, money that's going to be constantly helping your cash flow, et cetera. So it's not like the world's easiest investment. If you're not getting any of the perks out of it, 
I can see why they have you know some trouble finding enough minority investors. Two, in in certain situations, when you want to raise payroll, you have to go to the minority investors and say, hey, we got a call for cash. Pony up. Mm-hmm. And whereas the billionaires at the top can obviously write a check for a little bit more money, the folks who are minority investors at the bottom may not have the cash for that or may not be willing to spend the cash for that. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, dealing with a bunch of people, 20, 30, 40 people who all own a team together. And you've got to come to some sort of an agreement on do we want to pony up a little extra cash to sign the next great right fielder? That's a lot more challenging than one person at the top saying, yep, I'll write a check. Let's go. So that's, I think, the point he's making. Not that, you know, there aren't enough people out there to own teams, but that it's becoming more of a challenge to find people who are that wealthy. And if it becomes a challenge and there's a scarcity, guess what? Guess who steps in? Outside money. Comes the in. people with a tremendous amount of money. Maybe that upsets you. Maybe not. Maybe that's upsetting. And, and I know that I've talked to people who said, I'll never watch golf again. And, you know, I get it. Totally understand it. Like, I, I t- absolutely respect that decision. I, I'm like Andrew Brandt. I find it hard to pick and choose, right, where I'm going to choose to put my foot down and where I'm not. I find that stuff to be very challenging. But team ownership, I got another text here, which I think is good. Uh, everyone wants to be the face of a team, but who wants to be the guy that has a 2% share? I can see that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and to your earlier point you just made about somebody who's like, all right, I'll park a hundred million, but when is that hundred million going to become more and more and more? And I still don't get anything out of it because they're going to be either raising payroll or what? Right. And one day you will. I mean, the, the teams just go up by such an unbelievable amount in value that one day you'll, you'll take your value back out of it, but not necessarily along the way. You may have to wait however long until that team sells or you sell your shares or whatever. And yeah, people do want to be the face of it, right? That line from billions just sticks with me. The NFL is turning you down. I ask for the favor of telling you myself. They're really going to walk away from the highest bid. Sports franchises are how we knight people in this country. And you're not royalty. You're a robber baron. Right? That's a scene. If you haven't watched Billions, it's fantastic. I know everybody's all into succession now. But before there was that, there was Billions. And Paul Giamatti's awesome in it. And Damian Lewis, not the Seahawks guard, is awesome in it as well. Uh, And Maggie Siff is great in it. Everybody's great in it. It's a fantastic show. I loved it. And that is one of my favorite. That's one of the things that I always will remember from it is because he is a hedge fund robber baron, as they refer to him there. They don't want him as part of the club. Now, here's a better argument against what Andrew Brandt said. Here's a better argument for a 2% share. Look at David Bonderman. Who's David Bonderman again? Oh, right. He owns the Kraken. We don't talk about him as much because we talk about, you know, Lywicki and all the other people who are minority owners. But the biggest owner of the Kraken is a guy named David Bonderman. Before he was the owner of the Kraken, what was David Bonderman? And what is he still? Yes, he's got a huge, you know, company that makes a ton of money. But beyond that, minority owner of the Boston Celtics. He's mm. one of those 2% owners mm. or whatever it is. Maybe it's 10%. I don't know what yeah. the number is. So why do you want to become a 2% owner in the Washington Commanders? Well, Because maybe one day you'll become a 10% owner in the something else. And one day after that, you'll become the 51% majority stakeholder in whatever team it is. 
David Bonderman now owns an NHL team, and mark my words, the moment the NBA starts talking seriously about expansion, which it seems like they're starting to do, who do you think they're going to be more interested in? Guy who's never been associated with the NBA? Or David Bonderman, who's been a good citizen soldier for the Boston Celtics as a minority owner and is already having some success owning an NHL team? I got a pretty good idea. They're knighting you. They're allowing you into their club. Who do they want? Somebody who's already sort of in it. Somebody who's paying their dues. So that's the best argument, I would say, in favor of the two percenter, right? The one percenter becoming a two percenter in this case, mm-hmm. right? It's the opportunity to play in the long game to inv- to eventually, you know, become a, a majority owner somewhere. Dave but Bonnerman, uh, University of Washington Husky. Right. Yes. I think I knew that. Right. He was we talked to him. He was in here. We talked to him a few years ago when he was first purchasing the team. I mean, brilliant guy. Right. And has made a tremendous amount of money, but has played the long game in terms of sports ownership until eventually meeting the lie wikis and, you know, becoming a part of what they ended up doing here in Seattle. So I don't know how serious this conversation is about long term ownership in sports. I don't know whether it's a problem for a sovereign fund like the Saudis to get involved with other sports as they go. I really don't know. I also believe that it will happen more, whether it's just team ownership or whether eventually it turns into actual league taking over leagues. They certainly have the money to do it if they want to. If that's if that's the direction they want to go. And Justin, you were reading a little bit more about this the other day, and I thought you you had it right. If if the money and the profits from oil are going to dry up because that resource is kind of going away as electric cars become a bigger and bigger thing, right? I'm not saying that oil is ever going to go completely away, right, but right. if the profits are not what they once were and you're looking for other spots to, to park your money and you believe that sports is one of those things that's worth your time, I got to tell you, over time, you don't think that there's a bigger possibility that, that that we're having this conversation about things that you might hold a little bit more dear than golf? Yeah, like Andrew Brand said, let's watch tennis. Let's see what happens to tennis. And then after that, soccer is certainly, you know, a, a, a place where they've started to put money, car racing and auto racing in various ways. We know that horse racing has been a thing for a long time. So I'll start watching the NBA. That'll be the first league that I'll watch just because of the sheer scarcity in players. There aren't that many of them. It's not like the NFL or, or, or Major League Baseball. It's so many players. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but it's certainly something that's going to be uh, on my uh, watch list moving forward. All right. Brock's in here in a moment. I want to talk to him and play you this sound from Scott Service. He said something yesterday that echoed what Shannon had said and certainly showed what we were seeing out on the field. We'll discuss next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, salesports.com.